How old do you think Isaac was here when he was put on the altar to be sacrificed? How old do you think he was? Teenager? Anyone else? In his 20s? Anyone else? Eight to ten? I don't have the exact answer at all, but I did research it a little bit, and it would seem that the, the, the Jewish people would feel it's between 20 and 30. Um, some other sources thought it could be teenager. Um, but what does that tell you if Isaac was between, even if he was a teenager? What does that tell you about Isaac? Uh, do you think Abraham had to wrestle him to the ground to tie him up to put him on that altar? What's that? I think he was willing, dedicated, that's right. I think Isaac was willing. Um, it does say Abraham bound him, but I think he willingly put himself on that altar. And uh, I, f- I see two things I want to bring out of this story. One is that God asked Abraham to give up probably his most precious thing. I think, I, I think Abraham would have found it easier to give up his own life than Isaac's life. Because it makes it very clear in the beginning where he says, Take now thy son, thine only son. This was the son of promise. This was the son that through him would be a blessing. Through him there would be a blessing for the rest of the Jewish people as well as for all mankind. And he said, Get up to the land of Moriah, Mount Moriah, and offer him a burnt offering, which again is kind of ironic because God specifically later on meant, commanded them never to sacrifice their own children. But he asked Abraham to give up his most precious thing. And then I also want to highlight Isaac's willingness to be sacrificed. I don't think Abraham could have wrestled him to the ground and put him on that altar I think Isaac had to be willing. And um, even as they were, as Isaac and Abraham were, were climbing this mountain, Isaac said, Father, where's the, where's the lamb? Where's the sacrificial lamb? And Isaac, uh, Abraham said, God will provide a lamb. And I have a feeling at that moment that Isaac knew, oh, I wonder if I'm supposed to be that, that lamb. I don't know. It's things we read into but I just, uh, this, this is a backdrop to the sermon today. The title of the sermon is, Does Your Sacrifice Smell Good? I um, wasn't sure if I wanted to go with that title or not. I think a title of a sermon is kind of important. And uh, you could also call it putting your all on the altar. But does your sacrifice smell good? And the uh, text I want to read is out of Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. You all could probably read it all by, or say it all by memory, but let's actually um, say it together. Let's stand and, and read this scripture together. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You may be seated. I want to look today at what it means to be a living sacrifice. The idea of being a living sacrifice and what, how, how that should be today. And I think the story between Abraham and Isaac is a good example or a good backdrop for us to look at. First of all, the way God asked Abraham to give up his most precious thing. I mean, I, I have a feeling it felt like he was giving his own life, if not worse than that, if he can do something worse than that, to give up his only son. And then also Isaac's willingness to be sacrificed because there's no way Abraham could have overpowered him to put him on the altar. But I want to look a little bit, what, what was the purpose of sacrificing? <clears throat> so in, who knows where the first sacrifice happened in the Bible? When was the first sacrifice? After Noah? I think it was earlier than that. Genesis chapter 3. doesn't say that God sacrificed, but it says that God clothed them, Adam and Eve, after they sinned, he clothed them with animal skins. And in order for, to be clothed with animal skins, there had to be a death. And this points to the eventual sacrificing for the atonement of the children of Israel. Um, and it points to God's atoning, Christ's atoning work, um, by an animal shedding its blood, covered the nakedness of Adam and Eve, uh, made it possible for their nakedness to be covered, and so God could uh, relate to them as such, and that also pointed to the whole sacrificial system. Noah was another one that also offered sacrifices. Um, right after the flood, he came out of the ark, and he offered a sacrifice to God, and it said that God smelled the pleasing aroma, and and so this was a pleasing aroma, pleasing smell to God, and he said, never again will I, will I destroy the earth with a flood. Never again. And, you know, Noah did this, I think, in worship to God. In thankfulness and praise, he, he offered this sacrifice. But God also, it was also kind of an atonement sacrifice because God made a promise through that, after that sacrifice. And then, of course, we have God instituted the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. There are many laws and commands in Leviticus you have where he... He, there's the burnt offering, there's the uh, peace offering, there's the guilt offering, and of course we have the day of it, the offering for atonement, and, and um, I think there's at least five, and I, I didn't write them all down. But these are different offerings that could be offered by the children of Israel to God. And one of the reasons for this is it's, it's an acceptable worship to God. It was an acceptable way to worship God, was to offer sacrifices to God. And usually it was an animal, but sometimes it was... Um, pr sometimes they offered fine flour or, or their first fruits of their fields. So, but m the majority of the times, especially for a sin offering or a guilt offering, it was an animal. And so this was in worship to God, but it was also as a way of reconciling God and man because there was no way that God could dwell with sinful people without the shedding of blood. And the animals' sacrifices brought together, in a sense, God and man. It allowed their, the Israelites' sin to be covered so that they could dwell, God could dwell with them in the tabernacle. And 
so that was kind of the essence of the sacrifices. It, it, brought, it kind of brought a cleansing as such. It, it covered their sin, but it was also a way of, of um, worshiping, a way of worshiping God. Sometimes they would offer sacrifices in praise to God, um, offering the first fruits or um, like the peace offering and, and the burnt offering. Some of those were just, God, I thank you for all you've done for me, and I, I just want to praise you. And so they would offer sacrifices, and that was the whole purpose of um, the tabernacle. The priest, the priest in the tabernacle would offer these sacrifices for the people. I find it interesting that even the heathen nations also offered sacrifices to their gods. It was a way that they would worship and appease their gods. So offering sacrifices was not a new thing, but it was to only one God, whereas the many nations, other nations had many gods. <clears throat> and then just briefly, I want to look at here, Jesus Christ was the once and for all sacrifice that was needed to cleanse us from our sin. As I said before, there always had to be a, a, a shedding of blood to be able to cleanse from sin and or to, to be able to cover that sin. And Jesus Christ did that. So today, that's, th that's why today we are not offering sacrifices. We're not constantly offering sacrifices to atone for our sin because Jesus Christ did that. And it was a once, one sacrifice and that was it. He rose from the dead and now we have forgiveness through Christ. Because the blood of bulls and goats could never take away our sin. It just covered it. But Jesus' blood takes it away and he also puts in us a heart that is devoted more towards God, a heart that is more towards God. We put on the new man. That is all a part of what it means um, to be, to be um, a, a part of the atonement from, of Christ. So that brings us to today. God still asks us to sacrifice. He still asks us to offer sacrifices. But that sacrifice is our body. It's our self. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. The ESV says, as a living sacrifice, and I don't quite like that. I think it's a sacrifice. He asks, a sac we are to present ourselves as a sacrifice. And I, 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 you could, I'm going to say ourselves a lot because I think when it says our bodies, it's basically ourselves. Our body is it's, it's, you know, we, have, we need to devote our mind, our, our physical body, our limbs, our brain, all of that is a part of our body. And we devote that, we offer that as a sacrifice to God. So it's ourselves. God is asking through the Apostle Paul here that we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, which is a kind of a paradox because a sacrifice always meant death. You can't have a sacrifice without death, but there is a death happening here. Because it's death to self. You cannot crawl on that altar like Isaac did without putting your, your life on the line. And when I say life, I mean your, yourself. Death to self. It's important. If we were going to be, if we are going to be presenting ourselves as a sacrifice to God, we have to get off of our own throne and get on that altar of surrender. There's no other way we can be that living sacrifice and the way we sacrifice ourselves also makes a difference in how it smells to God. And the reason I have the title as how does your smell good is because throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament, it talks about sacrifices being a pleasing aroma to Christ, a pleasing aroma. 
they, they're supposed to smell good. And when the, when the sacrifice was done correctly and when the people, people's hearts were devoted to God, it smelled good. It was a, that's what it was for Noah. Noah had a, he was a righteous man and he offered that sacrifice and it said God smelled that, uh, that sacrifice and it was pleasing to God. And then he made that promise that he would no longer destroy the earth. Sacrificing ourselves. First of all, what makes a sacrifice acceptable in God's eyes? That ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Holy, acceptable unto God. So in the Old Testament, when they, would, when they were supposed to sacrifice animals, did they take the runt of the flock? They didn't. They took the best it, was, it wasn't supposed to have a blemish on it. And I don't know for sure, but I have a feeling if I brought that lamb or that animal up to the priest, I have a feeling he took his, he, he looked the thing over, and I, I, I might be wrong here, but I think they did. I think they searched, they checked the lambs, they checked the animals, they made sure there wasn't a blemish or a broken leg or, or something like that, a wound somewhere. They made sure that lamb was as much as they could tell without blemish. Same thing with the uh, burnt offering. Sometimes they would offer, or I think it was the peace offering maybe, they would offer uh, fine flour. It wasn't just your typical run-of-the-mill, it was fine flour. And it also said that if they baked loaves to offer, it was supposed to be unleavened bread without leaven. They were supposed to give the best. The best. And that's the same way it is for this sacrifice that we are supposed to make with our lives. It is to be holy, and it is to be our best. We are to be pure and holy in order to be a presentable sacrifice. I believe one way that we can do this is found in verse 2 of Romans chapter 12. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Con conforming to the world does not bring holiness at all. And I think Paul is giving us a kind of a roadmap on how we can be that acceptable sacrifice. Turn also to 2 Corinthians 6. And in here, I also want to read what it means about how our bodies are temples of, of God. And we are to, to be holy. We are to be uh, mindful of what we do with ourselves, with our bodies. 2 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 14. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship, fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, and, I, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these pro promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all, all filthiness of the spirit, flesh and, the, and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You know, our, our own righteousness, we, we can't make ourselves righteous. It is through the Spirit of God working within us. We put on Christ's righteousness, and it is to live rightly, we need Christ's Spirit within us. But we do need to make that decision, that I want, I'm going to live right. I'm going, and I feel like this is where the church of today kind of strays from, from the Bible, 
we cannot enter heaven without the blood of Christ. We cannot enter heaven on our own good works. But when we ask Christ into our heart, that's only part of the process. He's asking for our, our bodies. He's asking for everything. And he wants us to live holy lives that are devoted to him. And it's important that we watch what we do with ourselves, that we are careful with our bodies, that, you know, Christ is dwelling in here. This temple is to be holy. So what I do is pretty important. What I do is pretty important. What I put in my mind is pretty important. Am I careful with what I read or look at or listen to or, or whatever? All those things are important because this is where God's temple, this is God's temple. This is where he dwells. And not only that, if I'm going to be a sacrifice, if I'm going to present myself to be sacrificed on God's altar, it won't be acceptable if I'm not giving my best. If I'm not, and again, you can, I'm not trying to say you should constantly worry about, am I holy? Am I? No. God helps us in that. But have you made that decision that I'm going to do what I can, and with God's spirit within me, I'm going to live a holy life. I'm going to be careful what I do. I'm going to cleanse myself from those things. Turn also back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And this is talking a little bit more about sexual immorality, but is again talking about the body and how we need to be careful what we do with our bodies. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any Meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that the, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Are we careful what we do with our bodies? And, you know, as as. Um, a lot of us have grown up in a Christian or, or Mennonite home, and we've learned, and I'm very grateful for my heritage of learning um, things, you know, I, I, I've learned, you know, to, I was taught at a young age to not steal, to not kill, to not, um, you learn pretty quickly to not lie, and, and even um, to not um, commit immorality outside of marriage and things like that. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus took it a step further and he said a lot of what, what are you doing in your mind? And so I, I just encourage us today that what we do in our minds is so important. Because Jesus said that when we lust after someone, and I'm speaking especially to the men, when we lust after someone, we are committing adultery in our hearts already, even though the actual act is maybe not committed. And I'm not trying to highlight this over other things. I just, as a, as a, I think sometimes we are able to, on the outside, we're doing the right things, but what is happening in our minds and in our hearts? Are we putting in the right things so that we can be that holy and acceptable sacrifice to God? God wants us to put our best self, our best on the altar. <clears throat> and I think this is where the church is so important, 
to help us be holy, to help us stay holy, to help us live that path of holiness. The church is there. Our brothers and sisters are there to help us. So what is, what makes a, um, what is an acceptable sacrifice and what causes it to be a sweet-smelling fragrance? Um, Noah's offering was a pleasing smell to God. Even when the Israelites, when God instituted the sacrificial system the, and the Israelites offered acceptable sacrifices, it was sweet-smelling. It was a good fragrance to God. But did you know that God eventually became tired of their sacrifices? I wasn't going to read this, but I think I will. Turn to Isaiah chapter 1. As much as God set in place the whole sacrificial system, listen to what he thinks of their sacrifice. If I can find the verses here. Verse 10, Isaiah 1, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me, the new moons and the Sabbaths. The calling of assemblies, I cannot away with it. I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Why did God feel this way? After he instituted the sacrificial system, this was a, the sacrifices were a way of worshiping God. They were a way of, of making it possible that God could dwell with them there. Why? Why was he all of a sudden just like, I don't want these anymore. I'm sick of them. Just, I'm sick of it. Why? I'd like to know why. The heart wasn't in it. I'm going to say that I think being a living sacrifice, being an acceptable living sacrifice to God has more to do with our attitude, willingness, devotion to God than it does with the actual sacrifice that you're making at that moment. You know, I had to think, so Matt King right now is in Bald Eagle. He's working with people constantly, you know, troubled boys, and he's constantly, it's, it's a hard work. Um, is he any more... Is he somehow more of a living sacrifice than Raymond who's building barns every day and turning a prophet? I don't think so. It does depend on if he was willing to go when God called him. It does depend on his willingness and all of that. When I was at Mountain View Nursing Home, it was, it's a work that, you know, it's, it's a good work and you feel fulfilled and you feel uh, very, like, I don't know. It's, it's just, and then you come home and you're like, oh, what meaning is there to life just going to work every day? And, but sometimes God calls you. It, it, the more important thing is, am I on that altar that whenever God calls me to something, that I am willing to do it? And that something might not always be going into service. It might, it might be suffering, like Val Yoder talked about when he was here. Because suffering takes faith. And sometimes that might be crawling on that altar or being on that altar. Sometimes it might be going to far places to tell people about Christ. Sometimes it may be just, you know, being 
at church and putting your all into whatever God has called you to do. I'm getting ahead of myself. That's what I think a living sacrifice is. Not so much the actual sacrifice you're making, whether it's your time or your, your money or your energy, but it's more your mindset, your willingness, your humility. Have you crawled off of your throne of your heart and are you on that altar like Isaac was? Are you, did you crawl on yourself and say, God, I'm here. I'm here. And I am, I'm sacrificing, I'm willing to be sacrificed, die to myself, but yet a living sacrifice. I believe devotion to God is what makes a sacrifice, a sacrifice fragrant to him. A sweet fragrance is more dependent on a person's humility and devotion than the actual act of sacrificing. Turn with me to John chapter 12. This is a moving story about the woman who anointed Jesus' feet. Mary, her name was Mary. She anointed Jesus' feet. And I, I read through this story, and I, I just feel like it, it, it applies to us with our, to be a, what it means to be a living sacrifice. John chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him, then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Now, wouldn't that be a good sacrifice? Wouldn't that be a good sacrifice? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with me, but me ye have not always. You can probably draw different parallels out of this story, but I found it interesting how it said that the house was filled with the fragrance of that ointment. It was very costly to Mary, and that was a very costly thing to do, to buy this stuff and then to break it, or to, to, I don't know if she broke it, but she anointed his feet. And there's other, um, every one of the Gospels tells the story in a little bit different way. Some say she anointed the head. I think she could have done both. It was a very costly, and it seems like frivolous. Like, why would she do that? Like, like you just said, why, why, could, why wouldn't you, a much better sacrifice would have to be to sell this money, or sell this and give the money to the poor. That would be much better than buying it, spending money and just frivolously just anointing his feet and his head. But whose sacrifice did God, did Jesus really commend? It wasn't Judas's. He knew Judas's heart. It was Mary's. He knew her heart. She had a devotion to him that, and again, literally, the fragrance of the perfume filled the house, but I believe that fragrance was also a sweet fragrance in his nostrils because of her devotion to him, her willingness to do this because of him, because she cared about him and her heart was toward him. <coughs> Sacrifices that are only ritual are displeasing to God. That's what it talks about in Isaiah there. The sacrifices had become just rituals. That's it, because their heart was not in them. Their heart was not in them.
in 1 Samuel 15, 22, or in 1 Samuel 15, we have the story of where Saul was t- supposed to um, destroy the Amalek- Amalekites. And um, it ends up that he did not destroy everything. He kept the animals and he, c- and he brought back the king. And Samuel said, Saul, why have you disobeyed God? You were supposed to destroy the Amalekites. And, and instead I hear, I hear animals. You weren't even supposed to bring any of their animals back. And Saul says, well, the people wanted to bring them back to sacrifice. So they, they used this excuse, whether they were going to actually sacrifice them, I don't know. But look, God, I'm bringing back all these animals to sacrifice. It was, it was a, a way of trying to get out of the disobedience they had done. And this is what Samuel said. Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken, or to listen to God, is better than the fat of rams. That's the sacrifice God is looking for. And that's when... You know, I, you can spend your entire life in serving other people directly. You can spend your entire life being a missionary. But if your heart is not right, if you are not doing it out of de- devotion to God, it is not a very sweet-smelling fragrance to him. A person's devotion is also reflected in how much they are willing to sacrifice. If I tell my wife I love her, but... Every time she asks me to do something, I, I, I have something else to do. You know, can you help do the dishes? Ah, sorry, I got to go do something else. Or um, take the trash out. Or if I never sacrifice some money and buy her some gifts. Or if I never sacrifice my time and just sit down and talk. It, it doesn't, after a while, the sacri- it, it doesn't, I, I'm not willing to devote much time to her. It doesn't, it doesn't show my devotion. My devotion doesn't show because I don't have much devotion. But if I really am devoted to her, I'll make a lot more sacrifices because I care, because I love. And that's the same way it is for us to God. How much we're willing to sacrifice is dependent on our devotion. When the rich young ruler came to Christ, or came to Jesus, he said, um, God, what must I do to be saved? Or Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, well, do you know the commands? And he said, I've kept all of those. And then Jesus said, one thing you lack yet, sell all you have and give to the poor and then come and follow me. I'm not sure which was harder, selling all he had or following Jesus. But either way, he, uh, that was too much. He wasn't willing, he had sacrificed some because he was following the commands, but he wasn't willing to sacrifice that. And that showed his devotion. That showed how devoted he was. An acceptable sacrifice is fragrant to God. But you know, it's also fragrant to the world around us. And this is a little bit more about how when we commit ourselves and lay ourselves on that altar and are willing to be sacrificed, all of us, to God for his service, that fragrance also spreads out. Just like when Mary anointed Jesus' feet, The house was filled with the fragrance. Other people smelled it too. That happens, I think, to the people around us. 
In Ephesians 5, it says this, And be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. It's talking about how Jesus was to God a sweet-smelling savor, but I think it's when we walk in love as Christ did, we are also a sweet-smelling savor, a sweet-smelling smell that God enjoys and that I think other people enjoy as well. Turn again to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, or 2 Corinthians chapter 2, sorry. Second Corinthians 2, starting in verse 14. Now thanks be unto God, which also always causes us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor, or the smell, of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet, I'm going to say smell again, of Christ, in them that are saved, and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death, and unto, unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, we speak we in Christ. I, be, I believe when we are a part, when we are sacrifice ourselves, we're willing to be on that altar, and God, and we follow God's will and do whatever he calls us to, that's, that fragrance reaches to other people as well. I don't know if you remember back at the beginning, more at the beginning of the sermon, I said that sacrifices were a way of drawing God to man. It made it possible for God to dwell with the children of Israel by their sacrifices, by the atoning, the, the giving up, the, the um, shedding of blood. Now, obviously, we don't usually literally shed our blood when we're sacrificing our, or when we put ourselves on that altar. But I do think we have a part to play in reconciling God and man. It says that in Ephesians, where we are to be reconcilers. God has called us to the work of reconciliation, and I think part of that is by us being willing to be a sacrifice by us presenting ourselves and saying, God, here I am, here I am, all of me, not just my foot or my hand, all of me. And that, uh, that, that, per, that gives us a sweet-smelling smell. And it also is part, I think, of us, our work of, off, of bringing God and man together. When people see God in us, it draws them to him. It's also in worship to God, our being willing to be a sacrifice is a way of worshiping God. Just a, a few examples here of, of what I was thinking as I was sitting here this morning, what it means to be a sacrifice. You know, some of you are passionate about various things. Um, some of you are passionate about clubs, some of you are passionate about anything that there is to be passionate about. Some of you, and, there, and there's various ones that have passion about various things. Um, and sometimes God has given you that passion, and it's right down the line of work he calls you to. But there are times that you might have a passion, and it's not wrong to have a passion, but what if God calls you to something that's not quite your passion? Are you willing to sacrifice that and do what God calls you to do. When Mountain View called my wife to come and work there, she was not at all about that. Sorry, I didn't ask her if I could tell this, but, but she was willing to go. And it was a hard journey, and it, it took a while for her to come. 
But it was not at all down the line she was thinking her life. She was enjoying her life. She was enjoying where she was at and the people she was involved with. She was enjoying life. She, had, she was right in her, it was right up her alley. And then Mountain View calls and asks if she would come and, and work there. And I'm very happy that she did. But it was not, you know, it's, it's something that, there was a sacrifice that had to happen where God, okay, this is not down the line I was thinking but if you want me to go, I'll go. And I think that can happen to any of us in various ways. Sometimes it's suffering. God might be calling you to a time of suffering and it's affecting your life and you can't do some of the other things you would like to do. Are you okay with that? Is that, are you willing to sacrifice those desires or those things for what God, right now this might be your calling? And it's hard, to agree. it's hard to believe that sacrificing our calling can be suffering, but it, I think it can be. I think God, as Val Yoder says, everything that you experience comes across God's desk first, and I believe that is true. Sometimes the hardest part about sacrificing, again, is not so much the actual sacrifice as it is being willing to surrender it all and having that willing mindset. Being a living sacrifice has more to do with a person's mindset, attitude, and willingness than the actual service than the actual sacrifice itself. Ryan, you can pull up that song, sing a song then to end. <clears throat> Micah 6, 6 to 8 says this, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. That is being willing, being a willing and a living sacrifice. I had a few things to say yet, but I think I'll close with that. Um, Maybe what we'll do is have our testimony time and then we'll um, have that song for the, for the closing song, if that's all right. So let's kneel for prayer. God, I thank you for this time here. Thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love for us. And God, I just thank you for the sacrifice that Christ made for our behalf. And now as our, as our spiritual worship and as our Serve us back to God. Help us to offer ourselves. Help us to each personally make that choice, that we would offer ourselves to God, present our bodies as a living sacrifice, not part of it, all of it, and that we would give our best, that we would do our all, even if it's not always down the line we think it should be. God, help us to be willing to have that, to be a constantly a, will, an, uh, a living sacrifice with our attitude, our, our willingness, our mindset. I just pray that you would continue to guide us to live more the way you want us to live. Be with each one that's here today. May you continue to bring us closer to you as we live out our life that you have given us here on earth. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.